but it's good to see everybody. We're going to be studying Colossians chapter 3 and, and looking at that passage this morning and talking about the risen life, the risen life, the life that we are to live as Christians can be described as a risen life. But first, I want to begin by asking you a few questions and talking about the church. Now, in organizations and in business, they do certain types of analysis. One of these is called SWOT analysis. And it's just an acronym that just means strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so organizations look at what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what the opportunities are, and what the threats are to that organization. Now, the first thing that I want to talk about is what do you think the number one threat to the church is? Now, Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So for one thing, we're very happy to know that God has an eternal purpose for the church. And that no matter what, it will stand throughout all eternity here on earth and here in heaven. But are there threats to the kingdom of God? Are there threats to the church? And probably the first thing that we want to do is to point our minds outside of the church. There's some people that don't like the church. There's a lot of people who don't like church people, right? But let me suggest to you that maybe the greatest threat to the church isn't outside of it. That maybe the greatest threat to the church is actually the church member. Why? Maybe because sometimes what we say and what we do is inconsistent. And sometimes even what we say is inconsistent with other things that we say. And it's the hypocrisy and the double standards that we have for others. We require other people to do other things that sometimes we're not even willing to do ourselves. It may look different. It may be described as different. But maybe the greatest threat to the church isn't outside. It's actually within Reminded of a story of, uh, of a family. And they went to church and they heard a great sermon and it convicted them about evangelism. And so they, they got into their minds that, man, we need to witness for Jesus. So they invited the neighbor family. And they said, we're going to invite the neighbor family to dinner. And so the neighbor family came over for dinner. And so the mother, the wife, she wanted to show everybody, you know, that they were Christian. And she looked down at little Johnny, who's about five years old, say, Johnny, will you say the prayer before dinner tonight? And Johnny was a little startled. And he said, I don't really know what to say. And she said, oh, yeah, 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 you do. Just say, say what Daddy said this morning. So little Johnny said, Say what daddy said this morning. So he, he bowed his head and put his hands together and said, Oh God, we have those awful neighbors coming for dinner tonight. 
Sometimes our children teach us who we really are, don't they? And it's those inconsistencies that we find that maybe isolate people from faith, that isolate people from the church. And so as Peter said, the time has come for judgment to begin where? In the house of God. That our judgment must first begin with ourselves to take a hard look at ourselves, to take a hard look at the church, not just here, but in every place, what we're saying in culture, what we're asking of other people. And we're studying a book today that was written from prison, the book of Colossians. In fact, he says in chapter 4, 2, and 3, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul was in prison. He was in jail for teaching the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you this. We think about the current situation and culture, but none of us are in chains, I don't think, for believing in Christ. But let me ask you this. If you were arrested, if you were arrested for being a Christian, and they brought you before the judge... How much evidence would there be? How much evidence would there be to establish that you were indeed a Christian? Now you ask that of Paul, and I guarantee it, the evidence was overwhelming. He was a Christian, not just a church member. He was a follower of Christ, and he was convicted of that. how much evidence would be to the contrary to whether we're a Christian. Christ has called us to live risen lives in a fallen world. Think about that. The world is fallen. In fact, Paul says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We all got that in common, don't we? That we're sinners. And because of that, we live in this fallen world where there's sin, there's suffering, there's death. But the only hope is in a risen person, the risen person of Christ. And it's our lives that are to emulate and to be like Him. So Colossians 3 gives us this description of practicality. What does a risen life look like? It also challenges us to think that what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago isn't to be removed from us. That happened a long time ago. What does that have any meaning to me today? It's that our lives are connected to that event that my life is to emulate His death, His burial, and His resurrection, that I am to live a life risen, risen with Him. The first thing that Colossians tells us is that, number one, the risen life is the hidden life in Christ. Look with me at Colossians 3, 1 and following. 
If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Where does the risen life begin? The risen life begins within. It is an internal revolution of the heart and the mind of the follower of Christ. It's something that happens within us. That's why when we talk about conversion, we talk about things like faith. We talk about things like repentance because it begins on the inside of us. It has to do with what we fundamentally believe. What do you believe? Before you can experience the risen life, you have to believe something. And everybody believes something in the room. But what do you believe? The Christian has specific ideals and beliefs. Number one, that there is something beyond the earth and the universe. That there is the supernatural. That there is a builder of all things. And His name is God. That there is the immortality of humankind. That we're not just made for today. We're made forever. That God has imbued humankind with a dignity. Inherent value. People are important. That's what Christians believe. We believe that. And because of those beliefs, we then have values. We value each other. And that's why in our behavior, it should mirror those beliefs and those values. Paul talks about this. If you were raised with Christ, that allusion is to baptism. If you were raised with Christ in baptism, there's something that you need to do. In the context in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Our baptism is a participation in in the work of Christ. When we are raised with Christ, it says now, we number one, need to seek those things which are above. So there's an action. There's a progress. We need to seek. It's not something that's stagnant. It's something that's progressive. It's a movement that we're looking for something. We're seeking something. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. There is a seeking that we're now doing. We're seeking not things on earth. We're seeking things that are eternal, things that are heavenly. Not only is there this seeking, this action, but it also says that we're set. It says set your minds on things above. So not only am I seeking, but I'm also hanging on to things that don't change. I'm hanging on to His Word. I'm hanging on to love that I have an allegiance, that I have a devotion, that I have a faithfulness in what I'm choosing for God. Here's a hard part of this verse. Verse 3. It says this, For you died. Wait a minute. What do you mean I died? If you were raised... If you're going to live a risen life, it says you first have to what? Die. So it's paradoxical. 
Bonhoeffer said it like this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come die. And a lot of people don't want to face that. But in the Christian conversion, my old life of sin is to perish. It is to be crucified. It is to die. My selfishness, my fleshly desires is to die on the cross with Jesus. Paul said it like this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life in which I now live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am to crucify myself, my desires, and it's only in this risen state that my life is fully actualized in Christ. To experience it, we must die. And he describes it as a hidden life. If I hide myself in Christ, then Christ is revealed. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Psalm says it like this, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. It's all about the hidden person, isn't it? It's all about the hidden prayers, the hidden beliefs, the hidden truths that you know in your heart. It has to begin there to live a risen life. Our risen lives have everything to do with what's going to happen tomorrow. We think of eternity as a long time away, but verse 4 confronts us when Christ, who is our life, appears then you will also appear with Him in glory. That's why right now matters. What we do in these bodies matter is because in the end, when Christ appears, we will rise to greet Him, to meet Him. Some will be meeting, some will be greeting. But there is no chasm between today and eternity. The risen life begins now. The hidden life The risen life, number two, puts to death the old things. And that's what verses 5 through 9, it gives this litany of sins. And you may find your name on some of that. Or you may find some of your past in verses 5 through 9. It says statements like, put to death, put off all these things. Put off the old man with his deeds. When we come to Christ, we got to get rid of some things. We have to get rid of some attitudes. We have to get rid of some behaviors. So one question might come, how can I overcome sin? That's tough. Well, the first thing that overcomes sin is, number one, forgiveness, thank God. Right? That God overcomes our sin through His grace, through His forgiveness. The first way that we know that God overcomes sin is because He simply forgives it. And that's good news because it says in Colossians, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But two, overcoming sin also comes through discipleship. What does that mean? By following Christ, being a learner of Christ. Enacting the same things that Christ did in my life. What did Christ do? He forgave people that didn't deserve to be forgiven. He loved people that weren't like Him. So I have to do the same thing. I have to follow Christ. I have to be a disciple of Jesus. 
But not only that, He also imbues us with the power of the Holy Spirit. So you're not alone. You're spiritually enhanced through the supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's one reason why you should think about what we do in our bodies. Because guess what? You are the very temple of God. But it's also that power that empowers our life to overcome sin. How else does He help us to overcome sin? He's given us a fellowship of believers to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to love one another. And then it gives us the picture of what Christ looks like. Verses 10 and following, it says... And have put on. you got to put on this new thing. You have to put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created. According to Christ. That I put on this new image. And he describes it. And he says, in this new world, this new creation, guess what? Everybody's equal in the kingdom of God. That's what he says in verse 11. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. It's a new day for the world. Because in Christ, there are no caste systems. There are no social elites. There's just one. Christ, all in all. But then he gives these descriptive words. Listen to this. Put on tender mercies. Do we need mercy in this world? Do you need mercy in your marriage? Do you need mercy at work? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Kindness, humbleness of mind. How many of you love pompous people? Prideful people that think they're important. They can't fit in through the back door because their heads are so big. God calls us to be humble. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble, he says in his scriptures. Meekness, long suffering, patience, persevering. Sometimes we think about patience, and there is an aspect of waiting. Sometimes I think I got patience. I got patience, Lord, I really do. And then, I, and then I, and I eat pizza. And then I burn my mouth. I don't have patience. <laughs> I need patience. I can't even get through not eating a pizza when it's <laughs> too hot. But patience also carries the connotation of persevering, enduring to the end. We need that in our lives. Perseverance. Bearing one another. Helping each other out. Forgiving just as Christ forgave us. And putting on Love, the bond of perfection, he says. And then it says, this is a beautiful thing, that our lives become worship to God. Listen to this, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That whatever you do becomes the song to Christ. And all of a sudden, when that happens, 
Hypocrisy melts away. Inconsistencies melt away. The greatest threat to the church maybe is the church member, but the greatest strength is a Christian who has put on Christ in their life, who is loving their neighbor as their self, who is doing unto others as we would have do unto us, who has put off those things of the flesh and put on something new. Christ calls us to a new life. Christ calls us to a risen life in Him. And He wants us to live in a way that honors Him and even honors ourselves. We like to have a Savior. But we also have to have a Lord. You see, we want the Savior part, don't we? We need it. We know we need it. We look at the world and we say, man, this world needs a Savior. But the only way for Him to be the Savior that He's meant to be is for Him to occupy the throne of our heart. And when He occupies the throne of our heart, when He is truly the Lord of our life, He becomes fully that Savior. Because we put off those things that are hellish and destroy us. If we don't put them things off, those things get us in the end. In this life and in the one to come. But if we truly make Him Lord, He becomes our Savior. And when Paul talks about the Lord Jesus in Colossians, it's staggering. And in fact, some say, scholars say that Colossians 1, 15 and following is a hymn, an early church hymn. And so he's reminding the church of this hymn that they sang. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, talking about Jesus, that are in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. It's a staggering view of who Jesus is. Jesus is that. And I need to submit my life to His authority, His Lordship. And then I begin to live that risen life in Him. Are you living that life actualized in Jesus? If you haven't, it begins in faith. It begins by seeking Him. And He promises if we draw near to Him... He draws near to us. That we repent of our sins, those sins that hurt us, destroy us, and hurt everybody around us. And confess Him to be the Son of God, rightful of His position in this world and rightful of His position in my life. And be baptized in His name. And then I begin to seek those things which are above. I set my mind on things that are above. And God promises to deliver things that are from above. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you need prayers of healing or reconciliation. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.